All right. So um, I want to begin by showing you a picture. Okay. So if you would just take a look on the screen, this guy, uh, Jacob Jet. I don't know if you know his story. Several years ago, uh, at the time he was 18 years old, hired a hitman, hire a hitman to kill his parents. And uh, the prosecutor back in the day, and when he was in the case, he uh, he said that he wanted to kill his parents because he thought that they were too strict, and he just wanted to keep their money. The police said that Jacob found the hitman basically through a classmate in high school, and he provided the gun, he provided his parents' ATA, uh, ATM card provided the alarm code to the house and gave them $260 in cash with the promise of more to come if basically they got the job done, okay? Now, you may be asking like, okay, Pastor Alex, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. Why are you starting with, with a picture like this? We can get rid of that picture. Why are you starting like this? And the reason why is because of what the parents revealed when they, um, when they were talking to the police, their statement to the police blew me away. Here's what they said, I'm quoting. Said, they said that they were heartbroken over the incident, but steadfast in their love of, of the child that they adopted as a baby. I remember when I read this story, this article, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is how this this kid is going to repay his parents. I mean, they, it says that they adopted him when he was just a little baby. And who knows what his parents, what circumstances, right, they got him out, they rescued him from. And I'm, I was thinking when I read the story, this is how he's going to pay them after I'm sure all the ways in which they care for and they nurture him because he thought that they were a little too strict and he just wanted to keep their money. Can you imagine how discouraging that, that must be? Um, I, I cannot believe how, you know, how horrible of a situation that must have felt. Have you ever felt like that, a little discouraged, a little bit like, man, I'm, you know, I'm not, was it, was it all that work, was it really worth it? Maybe you, uh, maybe you've gone out of your way to help a friend who's betrayed you before. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you um, spend an extra 15 minutes of your time trying to give someone some advice, and then you found out later that they just ignored it. Maybe you cleaned your room, and nobody said anything. Or maybe you, uh, you took out the garbage, and nobody noticed. Have you ever felt a little discouraged? It's like, oh man, is it really worth it, all this work? Maybe you took out of, uh, time out of your busy schedule to pray for someone. They were going... Good friend was going through a really difficult season of life. You, man, you pray for them. You, um, you know, you make sure you put it on your calendar, and uh, they made it through. But they never came back, and never said thank you. Never, never acknowledged you. And it's not like we pray for others because we we need to be, you know, we need recognition or any of that. But it would be, it would be nice. What I want to do today, I think this is one of those messages that really hits all of us because. Most of us have been discouraged at one point in our lives. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about the secret to overcoming discouragement. Okay? The secret to overcoming 
discouragement. So if you have your Bibles if you, and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Most of the verses will be on the screen, um, and so if you don't have your Bible, no worries, we'll, we'll take care of you that way. But uh, if you follow along, um, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, so here it is, it says, As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Verse 12, as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. So how many men stood at a distance? Ten. Ten men stood at a distance. Verse 13, it says, they were crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan, the Bible says. Verse 17, he asked, Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to them, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. I want to talk about the secret to overcoming discouragement and if I could just take this whole, whole message and put it into one little word if I could if I could just get everything that I'm gonna say and just put it into just one little pill like the answer for you to overcome your discouragement is this one little word let me just give it to you ahead of time okay so you know where we're going is the word gratitude it's the word gratitude and this is what you're gonna learn from this passage today the secret to you overcoming that that Struggle that you're having, those, you know, discouraging thoughts, that situation, the secret is in gratitude. So what I want to do the next 23 minutes that we have together is I want to give you three facts about gratitude, and at the end I'm going to give you a practical way to practice it. All right, so fact number one about gratitude. Number one, we often enjoy the gift, but we forget the giver, and I think this is just a fact, that like just in humanity, just for us as human beings, we often forget, we enjoy the gift, we enjoy the blessing, but we, we don't, we forget to, where it came from, we forget to go back and say thank you, and so in this case, in this passage, you have 10 people that have leprosy, in this case, it's 10 men that have leprosy, and we know that leprosy is a disease, right? It affects um, your skin. It actually causes a loss of sensation, so you can't really feel. It causes paralysis in the most of uh, extreme cases. And then you have them, verse 12, if you look in your Bibles, you have the 10 guys, they're at a distance. Jesus is entering this village. You got these 10 men, they're at a distance. And you may ask the question, why are they so far away? Well, if you know a thing or two about the Bible, you know that they were outcast. They were, um, in fact, in Leviticus, the Bible, the command from Leviticus, 
was that in Leviticus 13, 45, the leper on whom the sore is, watch this, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare and he shall cover, watch this, he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. This was in that day and age the command from God to prevent, because it was such a contagious disease, this was a way that they would prevent the disease from spreading to the rest of the community. And so God has says all the days that he has the sore, he shall be unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So these people were outcasts and it was horrible. It was horrible. They couldn't be anything more like terrific than that more horrible than than finding that finding out that you have leprosy. It was not that they were lazy. They were not like no, just they just didn't want just didn't want to work. No, no, no. It was that they could not integrate in society because of the disease. And so they're from afar, they're yelling to Jesus, Jesus! Have mercy on us, Jesus. Now, at first glance, it just, to me, it seems that Jesus lacks a little bit of mercy because he says, oh, go go show yourself to the priest. Those are his first words to them. They're, Jesus, have mercy on us. And it's like, at first glance, it's like, you know, like, oh, yeah, just go, go to the priest. But actually, the reason for, for Jesus saying that also was based on the Old Testament. So did you know that in the Old Testament, the priest was the only person allowed to... So if somebody had leprosy and they had been healed, so they had to isolate, right? They had to separate themselves from society. The priest was the only one allowed to check on that person that had leprosy and allow them to mingle back into society. And so Jesus is not doing something that's just like, oh man, he just doesn't, doesn't have a whole lot of mercy. You know, no, no, no. He's actually doing what was commanded in the, the Old Testament. But I want you to notice this. Verse 14, I want you to notice this because to me this is very interesting. And I think this will speak to you. It spoke to me. It says, as they went, so as the, they, as the ten lepers, as they went to the priest, it says, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And to me, what this says is that it was their obedience, right? It was their because they wanted they were going they were coming to Jesus. The priests did not at this time were not known for healing people. Okay, Jesus was known for healing people, so that's why they come to him. Jesus, have mercy on us, heal us, take care of our needs. Jesus goes. He says, go show yourself to the priest. That's all they know. And to me, it seems like it was their obedience as they went that opened the door to God's blessing. And some of you today, you're here and you got some needs. You have some prayer requests. You have some things going on in your life and you don't know what to do. And I, I want to I tell you, you're not going to see God's blessing until he sees your obedience now it may sound a little bit harsh for me to say it but it's it's the truth it's not that God is not able to is that sometimes he wants to see your obedience 
before you're able to see his blessing in your life. This is what tithing is all about. And I, don't, I know you guys don't like when I talk about tithing. I don't do it often. But this is what tithing is all about. What tithing is, is you're saying, God, I am going to be thankful for what you have given me. I'm going to be obedient to what you have called me to do. That's what the tithe is. You're saying, God, I am, I, you have provided for me. It's a matter of trust. That's what it is. It's, it's God, I trust that you're going to provide for my future the way that you have provided for my past. That's what tithing is all about. God never says, I want you to give out of what you don't have, right? No. God says, I want you to give, so every paycheck that you get, I want you to designate a portion of that, and I want you to dedicate it to me. It's what the tithe is. It's saying, God, I'm going to trust that you have given me this, and you will continue to give me more. So if you don't have a job, if you don't have a steady income, God doesn't say that you should give, right? He says, give out of what I've given you. When you and I, when we bring the tithe, this is something that's important for you to know. We're not, we bring the tithe, okay? We don't just tip God. We don't just say, oh, you know, I'm going to give you what I have from my leftovers. No, we give them the first. We give them out of every paycheck. If you're not tithing on a regular basis, I want to challenge you for your own good, okay? Out of every paycheck, you say, okay, talk to your spouse. We're going to designate this amount, and this is where we're, we're going to trust God as much as we can in this area of our finances. So the Bible is clear. It says, as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. It was in their, it was their obedience that opened the door to God's blessing. Now, what's interesting in this story is that out of 10, how many, how many came back? How many came back? Out of 10 that were healed, only one, the Bible says, only one came back to say thank you. This is why I say we often enjoy the gift, we forget the giver, right? And um, I want you to take a look on take a look on the screen. I don't know if you know this gentleman right here on the right. I don't know if you know who he is. His name is Carl Rowan. Um, he was one of the most prominent black journalists of the 20th century. Carl, in his autobiography, Breaking Barriers, tells a story of how one day he was giving a speech. And uh, in his speech, he was talking about somebody who was very influential. He was talking about Miss Williams, his uh, teacher. And uh, he was saying how often she would get this little wrinkled piece of paper, she would just pull it out of her, out of her drawer, and she would read this quote that was attributed to uh, a Chicago architect, Daniel Burnham. And the quote read this. Here's what the quote read. Make no little plans, for they have no magic to steer men's blood, and probably themselves will not be realized. Instead, make big plans, aim high, in hope and work, and remember that our sons and grandsons are, grandsons are going to do things that, would, that will stagger us. And so he's telling this, he's, he's basically giving this speech, and he's making reference to his teacher, how she was a huge um, influence in his life, and basically reads the quote that she would often read. 30 years later, okay, he's telling this story. And uh, the story, as he's giving the speech, gets picked up actually by a newspaper. They, they actually 
write it up and put it on the newspaper and somehow it makes it to Miss Williams. She reads a story and she cannot believe that this is me, oh my goodness, you know, and she was really surprised. And so she decides to write him back and she this is what she wrote him back. She says, you have no idea what the newspaper story meant for me. For years, she said, I've endured my brother's arguments that I've wasted my life. He's been telling me for years that I should have had a family, that I should have done something else. When I read this story and you gave me credit for being an influence in your career, I put the news story in front of my brother and I had him read it. And then I said, you see, I did not waste my life, did I? <laughs> and I tell you that because I think it's, a, it's, it's part of our humanity, right? This happens more often than we like to admit. We, we go through life enjoying the benefits and the blessings that we receive from God or from other people, and very often we forget to go back to those people who blessed us and say thank you to them. The Bible says, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Usually we kind of stop the verse right there, right? Whatever you do, do it in word or in deed as unto the Lord. And, and we just stop. But if you finish the verse, it's equally important. The second half is just as important as the first half. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So let me ask you a question. How often do you practice gratitude? How often do you say, thank you, Lord? You know, one of the things that you probably hear me say often is gratitude is not silent. Gratitude is not silent. So how often do you, do you practice gratitude? How often do you say, God, thank you? How often do you text your spouse or call them or thank them or, or say to them, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for, how often do you call your parents? How often do you tell your mom and dad, man, you made a difference in my life. How often do you talk to your coworkers and appreciate one or two things that they've done the last year? How often do you come to your pastor or those that ministered to you, okay? And I'm not, I'm not asking for a praise after the service, okay? But, it's, but we should get into the habit of saying, pastor, really appreciate you and I'm not just saying me, but anybody that ministers to you. I really appreciate that kind word that you said. You know, last Sunday, uh, somebody came and gave me a hug. And in that moment, I felt God's love. You know, how about going back and saying, hey, you know, that, that love that you showed me in that moment, it meant the world to me. Because I was dealing with something, I was stressed out, and I just felt like I felt like God was using you through, um, God was sharing his love through you to me and so how often do you practice first fact about gratitude is we often enjoy the gift we forget the giver here's the second one we're quick to pray but we're slow to praise isn't that true the truth we're quick to pray we're so slow to praise uh in life groups have you ever noticed how quick we how much time we spend on prayer versus praising God I mean like what's the ratio let me just ask out there like like what what's the ratio between prayer and praise when we ask for when like we're in a meeting and it's like okay any prayer requests any praises which which one is greater than the other right like is it like one to ten like one praise for every ten I mean what's the ratio you tell me 
I, I don't know what it is, but I can pretty much, I can guarantee you, we often spend way more time on the prayer request category, and we kind of leave the, the praise like, you know, for every once in a while. We'll spend 20 minutes on, man, this is on my heart. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make it, you know. And then, you know, in tears. And then a few months later, God, you know, gets us through it. And then like, oh, yeah, you know, just I forgot to tell you, right? We often spend, we're quick to pray. We're slow to praise. So um, true story. This lady, her name is Brenda. She was asked to, um, by her... Um, her friends to go rock climbing she didn't really she doesn't really like heights and but you know peer pressure they were all into rock climbing so she decides okay i'm gonna do it against her own will and her wishes so she goes rock climbing and she's putting on all her gear and she's be positive and she grabs the rope and she starts climbing and about halfway through the the climb she um her safety rope actually snaps against her eye and knocks out her contact lens. And now she's looking down, and, you know, hundreds of feet down, like she can't, you know, she's got blurry eyes, you know, vision, and she looks up, and it's like, I still have a ways to go. She was just there for a moment just to rest, just for a little break, and she begins to pray, Lord, please help me find my contact lens. And she's kind of panicking a little bit. I need, like, Lord, I, I need your help. She quotes, uh, Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to the Lord. So she's doing everything she can do. Lord, please, you can see all the mountains. You know every leaf. You know every stone. You know exactly where my contact lens went. I cannot do this without my contact lens. And she's looking. She's looking on the ledge. She can't find the thing. She gets to the top. Her friend looks nowhere to be found. They go down the trail where other climbers were getting ready to go up. And one of the climbers says, hey, did anybody lose a contact lens? Not, not really. That didn't happen. <laughs> Would have been nice, right? <laughs> you know, the preachers tell these stories. It's like, where do you get these stories from? What did happen, though, is one of the rock climbers gets to the same ledge, and he sees his little contact. Okay, and it's actually being, it was on top of an ant. Brenda tells her dad, who's a cartoonist, and this is what he drew. Take a look. Now, I want you to, I want you to, true story. It seems outrageous, but I want you to look at the quote from the ant's perspective that her dad wrote. Here's what he said. Lord, it says, Lord, you can see all these mountains. Excuse me. Lord, <laughs> wrong quote. Uh, I don't, he's like, what are you reading, Alex? <laughs> I don't know why you want me to carry this thing from the ant's perspective. I can't eat it, and it's awfully heavy. But if it's what you want me to do, I'll carry it for you. Now, the reason why I tell you this story is because often, you know, we have our own crazy stories of breakthrough. We, we ask for things that would be like impossible. We ask for miracles. And often, God will answer us. And he will show us where the contact lens is. And it's like, you tell people, and it's like, you're not going to believe what happened. And so God, God answers all kinds of prayer requests. But often, what do we do? We forget to praise him. We get so busy we just go through life, and I, I'm talking about myself. Sometimes I'm just slow 
to look back and say, thank you, God. I mean, like we, we have this tendency, we wake up in the morning and it's go time, right? If you're like me, like it's like as soon as you wake up, man, you're looking at the news, you're looking at your emails, you're looking at your to-do list. It's one thing after the next. And if you're not careful, you will miss the blessing. And seldom what, what very seldom what, what we do is, is stop and just think. And so this Thanksgiving week, I, I want you to just stop for a moment sometime. Here's a challenge. And just, just stop and think and just thank God. Stop from the busyness of the season and just, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, just God, look around and see the blessings in your life. Like, like do you realize that like we're on this giant, this, we're on planet Earth, right? And, and this thing, this bowl, huge bowl, is actually spinning on its axis. You know how fast the Earth is spinning on its axis? Does anybody know? About a thousand miles an hour. Did you know that? And you guys, and you're sitting there, and you're like all comfortable. Am I, am I the only one to think it's kind of crazy that we're on this giant bowl, and it's spinning a thousand miles an hour on its axis, and we're not just flying off somewhere? And we're here. We're well put together. We're not cool. You know, like, is that, is that crazy or what? I mean, is it, is it crazy that we are this tiny little ball going around the, a giant ball, we call it the sun, right? A giant ball of, of fire. And we're like, it's a million times bigger than us. And we're going, do you know how fast we're going around the sun? 67,000 miles an hour. You know, and, and somebody will ask you, hey, how you doing? It's like, eh, just another day. What? Just another day? Are you kidding me? Do you realize that like one inch closer to the sun and we would all be toasted, like we would be done. Just one inch closer. One inch, man, today it feels like we're one, one inch further away from the sun. <laughs> I'm like, man, 29 degrees, that's cold. Nobody's going to be there. I'm going to be preaching just to everybody online, which is cool. We, we know you're not as spiritual as us, you know, but it's all good, you know. <laughs> we love you, you know, you Jesus, but we love you. <laughs> You know, just stop and think and thank God for the blessings that God's, man, he's given you so much. Um, the Bible says, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works. Oh, that we would just stop and think for a moment. And give thanks to our Heavenly Father for what He has provided for us, for His wonderful works, for His goodness for us. We often enjoy the gift, we forget the giver, we are quick to pray, we're slow to praise. And the last fact is we forfeit our future gifts. Listen to this. We forfeit our future gifts by our present ingratitude. And that's what happens in this story. You know, the, the ten men get healed, all tell, ten, ten of them. Jesus comes back, you know, because the guy, the one comes back, and he's like, didn't I, he asked three questions, right? Like, didn't I heal ten? Yes, 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 you heal ten. Uh, you know, where are the other nine? Well, we don't know where the other nine are. And then just this one guy shows up, and he gets on his knees and says, God, thank you. And what does Jesus say? He says, he says, get up, 
it up. And he says, your faith has made you well. Ten men get healed, like their bodies get healed, but only one got healed spiritually. And so here's what gratitude does in your life. Gratitude opens the door in your life for you to have a stronger, deeper relationship with God. And in turn, you know what that does? In turn, that helps you overcome discouragement. When God tells you to be grateful, it's not because he needs recognition. He is God. He is sovereign. He doesn't need any of that. When God says, I want you to praise me, I want you to worship me, I want you to, I want you to, to, to say thank you, it's not because he's alone somewhere in heaven, you know, wanting more praise. No, it's for your good. When God says, I want you to practice tithing, it's not because he's poor and he needs more from you. It's because he says, it's for your own good. I know what that will do in your heart when you learn to let go. When you learn to release. And so we praise Him and we thank Him for what He has given us. When we do that, He gives us the courage to face whatever situations we're facing. When you praise Him, when you thank Him in the middle of the struggle, in that moment, God gives you the wisdom to help you kind of understand how things are going and why they're going a certain way. When you take a moment and you praise Him and you thank Him, what, guess what He does? He gives you the strength to take the next step. When you praise Him, when you thank Him for what's going on in your life, guess what He does? He gives you the faith that you need to trust Him. That whatever happens, He's going to take care of you. And so, how do you practice, how do you practice gratitude? How do you practice gratitude? Let me give you four practical ways to do it. Number one, pay attention to the people around you. Everybody has a need. Everybody is worried. If you just kind of lift up your eyes and just look, what you're going to see is that every single person has a need. It, when you were five, you were worried about the, having lost the, the toy. And then when you're 15, you're worried about passing the algebra exam. If you don't pass it, you're not going to pass the class. Your parents are going to kill you. When you're 35, you're concerned about your job, whether you're going to make it, whether you can provide for your family. When you're 65, you're thinking about your grandkids who are worried about the algebra test. And you're 35-year-old who's trying to find a better job. We all have something that we're concerned about. So you want to practice gratitude. Just look around. Lift up your eyes. You want to practice gratitude? Learn to accept less than you are due. Learn to accept less than you are due. The Bible says it is because of the Lord's great love that we're not consumed. It's because of God's great love that we are not consumed. Everything you have is because of God's grace. So stop dwelling on how things should be. The way things could have been. And start saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. Three, become a problem solver. Use lemons to make lemonade. Get into the habit of like asking the question, okay, how can I turn this negative into a positive? Did you know that some of the most... 
Some of the most incredible, most successful people, they have faced, they've endured tremendous trials in their lives. And they just knew how to turn it around. They knew how to persevere and just keep going. Some of the most successful, uh, think of uh, famous comedians. Often, people who are some of the most famous comedians, they, they come from horrible backgrounds. You look into their childhood, you look into like the things where they were brought up, and often what you you'll find this common denominator. They've used their past to make people laugh. And they've just turned they've been able to turn it around. One last way, learn to see hardships as a chance to develop character. You know you can be grateful for even the difficult times. It's like tempering, the tempering of steel, right? You know what, what tempering is all about? So I was looking this up. Tempering basically consists of heating the steel to a specific temperature, holding it at that temperature for a required length of time, cooling it down, and then doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the result is you have a harder metal. You have a, a stronger metal. In the same way it is spiritually. When the heat is on, it's not going to be like that forever. Things are going to cool down. And then, if you live long enough, things are going to get heated again. And it's not going to last forever. And things are going to get cooled down a little bit. Okay? But guess what happens in the process? You're becoming stronger and stronger in your faith. And so, if you read the Bible, God's Word tells us we can even be thankful even in the trials. Even when, when, Lord, I don't have much. You know, pastor's getting up there and he's, he's asking, you know, to give and tithing. And I, where is that going to come from? Even when you're in those moments, God says, I am for you. I'm for your good. I'll close, I'll close this way. Um, I want you to picture, I've told you this story once before. Um. I think it's a good one. Just for a moment, as we kind of wrap up, I want you to picture, I want you to imagine this scene. You're on, and today's a good day to do it, you're on a, a Florida coast, okay? It's a little bit warmer than it is today. And just picture this for a moment. Sun is setting. It's a cool evening on a vacant stretch of just a beautiful beach. You can feel the breeze. Maybe a couple of people just walking by, a couple of fishermen. Most people have gone home. And you look up and you see this old man. You see this old gentleman with, you know, curved shoulders, bushy eyebrows. And he's walking and he's got a bucket. Okay? And you look up and you see that there are hundreds of birds that are landing on, landing on him all over, on his hat, on his shoulders. And, and, and you, you see that, like, he's got this bucket, and he's taking out shrimp, and he's feeding what looks like, I think, that the other seagull. And you're like, what is this guy doing? Why would he be feeding seagulls? You know, what was it? What would compel this older man to go to the beach week after week after week and feed all these seagulls shrimp? I mean, what's he thinking well, the man in that scene is, his name is Eddie Rick, Rickenbacker. 
famous World War II pilot. He's playing the Flying Fortress. Went down 1942. Nobody thought that he would be rescued. Actually, it was him and eight other passengers. They were able to climb. They made it alive. Able to climb in two rafts. And um, for 30 days, they were at sea. Okay, they only had enough food for eight days. Thirst almost killed them. I mean, they fought the sun. They fought. They said there were huge sharks, nine feet long. Their raft was only like eight feet, so longer than their little raft. And for 30 days, they said what almost killed them, though, was starvation. Because they only had food for eight days. He says every day they would, well, in the afternoon, they would take time to do a devotional. They would pray together every single day. And one day, after the devotional, he grabs his hat, kind of puts it on his head, leans back, just kind of taking a, just a little break, just another day, right? And he feels something on his head. He knew, he knew it was a seagull. Nobody moved. Nobody said a word. He knew, this is it. This is a matter of, you know, this is, I'm either going to survive this thing or I'm going to, I got to capture this bird. And in that moment, he grabbed the seagull. And that day, they ate of the flesh. They took the intestines. They used it as fish bait. And they were able to survive. You ask the question, what would compel a man to feed seagull shrimp week after week after week well it was the fact that it was a seagull it was that sacrificial guest guest that came that saved them and gave them just enough fuel until they they were found out the bible says the apostle paul says that christ's love compels us you know what that word means the word compel it means it leaves us no other choice that's what the word compels me God, your love for me leaves me no other choice. And what Eddie Rickenbacker would do is every week he would grab one of those shrimp and he would feed it to the seagull and he would say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's what we do in our relationship with Christ. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, in a moment, we're going to worship. In a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to say thank you, whether it's via worship, whether it's tithing, whether it's, you know, when you leave this place. We don't do any of those things begrudgingly. We don't do them because we have to. When we use our talents to serve Him, when we give of our hard-earned money, when we use our time, we do it because Christ's love compels us. God, thank you so much. The key to our discouragement really is gratitude. Lord, may we never stop being thankful and grateful for what you provide for us. And God, in this moment, we're going to worship you we're going to give, we're going to serve, because you are worthy of it all. We praise you today, in Jesus' name.